Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Stacy Mallon. Stacy, are you ready to do this? I am ready, George. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Glad to have you on. Let's do this. Stacy is a consultant, coach, author, and speaker on a mission to change the practice, perception, and impact of the people function in high growth organization using the Rebel Code methodology. I'm excited to have you on. Stacy, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Sure. Um, first and foremost, I am uh, kind of the leader of a band of rebels. I have family, three kids, all teenagers, uh, so help me there. Um, <laughs> four, four dogs, uh, all English bulldogs, also uh, probably makes me a little bit crazy. Um, my husband uh, is in the fitness industry, so uh, I have also been in fitness for over 20 years as a side hustle, so that's something that he and I share in common. And um, I started in HR over 20 years ago, um, really around the same time I started in fitness, started both at the same time. And again, like most people will tell you about human resources, I feel like I didn't choose it, it chose me. But as I have migrated through my career of now nine different startup companies, had a Fortune 50 company experience as well, um, I have become more and more passionate about how this function impacts the business and how we can best impact the business by um, really employing certain strategies that I've found have worked for me. So that's what I'm, I'm big on um, when I go out and speak or I do mentorship or leadership work. Um, and then I do coaching work really with executives that are looking to take a company into a high growth stage or who are in a high growth stage now and that are experiencing pain points for that. But it's all around the same stuff. How do you motivate people? How do you find the best people? How do you lead the best people and retain them within your organization? How do you help them grow? So it's all based around this people stuff. Um, and for me, I've found success in partnering with CEOs who really believe that the people and people that are following a really aligned process are the, the biggest, um, most important things within the organization. So that's what I'm passionate about today. That's how I've built my business, uh, my consulting business, and I'm now continuing to, to grow that business through, uh, through coaching and, and speaking and doing a little bit of writing. I love it. And on your website, it says that the world is screaming for something different. And that's certainly my belief in, in, in my industry, finance in general. But why do you say that? Um, I, I think that when I first got into human resources, I actually didn't even identify as somebody in human resources because I, when I started, and this is sort of a joke, but this is the actual truth of when I started in this practice, I worked in a hospital system and HR was located next to the morgue in the basement. <laughs> I'm not even joking. So I was like, I don't do that for a living. That is not what I do. Those people are angry at the world. Um, they don't really care about driving business. At the time, I was the office manager for an internal medicine practice. So I had to deal with the people stuff and 
the reason I started talking with those people in the basement was that I was responsible for recruiting the interns for the hospital and for the two of my doctors that were heads of the internship program. So that's how I started interacting with HR. And they were really miserable people. Um, they were more about making things difficult than making things easy. Their first answer was no instead of yes, or how can we do this, or how can we make this better? So I didn't identify with that world at all in the beginning, even though I was recruiting. So I, I was really within the, within the realm of talent acquisition right out of the gate. So when I went into the agency world, didn't identify as human resources either, because I felt like all I did was talent acquisition and sales. And so the first time was when I came into a startup organization, but even then um, I didn't want my title to be human resources because it just felt like that's not who I was. So over time, I have found that there are really amazing people doing incredible things in the practice of human resources. So now I would say I self-identify as being part of that practice at this point in my career. But my mission in life, and I truly mean that, is to change the way that not only business sees the practice, but the way the practice sees themselves. And that is um, they believe and have been taught that their role is to mitigate risk. Their role is to write the rule book. Their role is to be the police and the party planners and all the things that they get relegated to and then complain about but that's the reality that they gravitate to those things. I don't do those things. I never have. And uh, so part of why I feel like the world is screaming for a change at this point is every CEO that I talk to wants um, something different. They want the people stuff to be really central to the business, but they can't find the right person to lead the charge. So my goal is to help people that want to do it that way connect with the CEOs that ultimately are looking for that type of talent. I'm con- that's who I'm consulting with right now. That's who I'm talking to. But my end game here is let's build some more talent in the practice that thinks about things a little bit differently. And then also, because I believe there's already demand, um, every CEO and board that you talk to will tell you that acquiring, retaining, and growing talent are some of the top missions um, for them as a business. So that's something that we need to start changing the way we we behave to do that. I I think that that's all all 100% on point. I think that it it certainly makes sense. Um, As I listen to you, I I can see how for so long people have viewed HR, human resources, as the police and party planners. I've never heard that term before, but it's pretty funny. So I don't like to use buzzwords but or terms, but it is definitely a shift in, in, in the paradigm of how people view themselves who work in, in that field and how leadership in an organization views people in that field. So I, I appreciate that very much. And I, I wanted to ask um, if every organization wants this, it sounds like the people you talk to do, um, and I think that that's probably an essential element or an essential component to having a great culture is the leadership has to want it. Um, so let's, let's just assume that, that, that high performing organizations do, are there ways that, that leaders will self-sabotage? 
I think that leaders, um, you know, most leaders have, have never been taught to be leaders, right? People um, become leaders either because they were the best at what they did, they were the subject matter expert, they were the top in sales, right? This is what happens in, in the world. And that's a totally normal thing to happen. Um, on a personal level, I'll tell you my daughter is one of the number one salespeople in the company that she works for. This is my almost 20 year old. And she said to me, I really want to be in a leadership role. And I thought, oh, my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> You're not ready to be a leader. <laughs> um, you may be the top salesperson, right? But this, to me, she's still a kid. And I can't imagine her really manifesting um, what is really authentic servant leadership yet, because she, in my opinion, isn't really ready to do that. But she's probably going to be put in that role. Well, who's going to teach her how to be a really authentic, connected leader. Um, and so I think for something that I, I read about a year ago that um, really hit home for me and for listeners, if you're thinking about like, where do I even start? The book Radical Candor was something that really spoke to me as one of the first types of leadership constructs that I felt like, yeah, this is exactly what I've been talking about for a long time, but this gives people a nice packaged version. And radical candor is about caring deeply and um, and and challenging directly those two axes, right? And so, if you care deeply about people, they will hear your feedback. If you are direct about feedback, and they you don't care about people, we've all had those bosses, right? More dictatorial style. It can still be, if you will, effective. In fact, the second most effective way to lead is sort of more an authoritarian leadership style. At least stuff gets done under that leadership style. Um, but the best way to lead is for, for people to know that you genuinely care about them as a human being. And then as you're being direct with them, they understand that you care. They're more willing to absorb that feedback and manifest the behaviors that you're asking them to manifest because they know that you really care about what's in their best interest. So in thinking about how leaders sabotage themselves, if you look at where you sit on that axis, you know, some people really believe that they want to care about people, that they do care about people, but your lack of being direct is actually um, sabotaging um, the people that you lead. If you can't be direct with people in the moment um, or soon thereafter, as, as close as possible as to, you know, when something happens or you watch them behave a certain way, you're ultimately doing them a disservice as a leader because they're just going to continue to behave that way. Um, so I think that's something that for me, I, I took away when I read that book is, um, a construct that I think people can hold on to and understand that that's to me that's a real way to think about how to lead a and and really your heart your authentic because I think that's a people um, challenging to do. All right, so Stacy, I, I know that a lot of the things that that you talk about that are most of value or have been proven to be the most of value to employees in an organization is feeling like they're part of an, uh, an, an authentic, transparent, autonomy-centric culture. And we have an organization that has a, a leader who, who, who wants to drive that. How do they get started with that? Is it 
just announcing to everybody here here's what we're going to do and then forming committees or i i know it's easier said than done or, or a lot but right. how, how how does one get started well in the term leadership right is the 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 word lead and i think the very foundation of leading is setting goals and having very clear direction um i think the most challenging the hardest thing that people struggle with is a leader that they have no idea what the expectations are of that person. They have no idea how to meet those expectations or somebody that keeps moving the finish line um, for for their team. So I think one of the, the major things that's critical in starting an authentic and transparent culture is being very transparent about your goals. And solidifying those goals, working with teams to identify the goals. And then, you know, also, if you have a set of values, make sure that, that your goals are resonating with your values or your purpose within an organization. Those things all have to line up. If your values don't line up with your goal setting or your purpose is totally disconnected with the goals that you've created, that also feels broken to people. It feels completely unauthentic that you have these values and they're not related, but doing all those things. So starting with cascading from a purpose down to a value system and then setting goals that are very clear and very um, tangible for people. And I would say it's not, um, I have used an OKR methodology, for example, objectives and key results. And many times you, those goals are about 80% achievable. They're stretch goals. So I think there is something to setting goals that are attainable. So they're not completely out of reach, but they're stretched for people. But I think the big thing is people want to be led and they want to be told, you know, here are the things that we're all striving for. And you're on this team in this boat, all pulling an oar to get to that same finish line. That makes people feel very connected and makes them feel like they're part of something bigger. So much like a purpose makes them feel that like they're part of something bigger. Ultimately, if they don't believe that they're moving towards a central goal, everybody's kind of running around in a circle, not sure what they're doing. I think that creates a lot of insecurity. Um, and I've seen in organizations that I've helped um, in the past, that to me is the number one biggest um, thing that leaders um, should start with and uh, and then move kind of move and cascade from there. I have direct experience, as I know that we all do, with feeling like we're part of a team or a group or, or a company, hopefully, that you do feel like everybody's moving in the same direction. You do feel like you're a part of something that's bigger than yourself. And I think that that is such a powerful and important thing. And I, I'm, I'm always curious I think that a lot of leaders are certainly capable of providing that to their employees, but it's just a matter of doing it a lot of the time. Cause it's not necessarily rocket science to, to do the things that we're talking about, but the execution of it is a whole nother thing. So how do you, and, and, and just take, take a step back. I think that it's so important for people's to, to, to make sure that their values and the things that they really believe and hold most dear are in alignment with their organizations. Otherwise, it's not going to work out for for either the employee or the um, or the organization itself. So, how important is is 
fostering a community within an organization? I think it's critical and I start, I think it starts when you're selecting talent. I think you have to project and portray what is really the voice and the feeling of the organization throughout a process when you're interviewing or even prior to interviewing whatever your employment brand is. I believe very strongly that that has to be um, incredibly authentic. Now, that being said, 15 years ago, when I did that with a Fortune 50 company, when I was with Caremark, um, there was no social media, right? So it was easier to sort of manufacture something that wasn't true and, and real because there was no way for people to get insight. There was no glass door. LinkedIn didn't really exist or was just starting, right? So think about back then. We The only insight you had is when you walked into the organization to do your interview, right? Well, now people are going to have a sense for you before they ever walk through the door. So it's still very critical to give people a real experience as they do come through the door, as they interview, as they talk to people. Um, But I think it has to feel connected to whatever they've seen prior to them walking through the door. And so it starts with when you think of a journey that someone has with you as an employer, it starts with who you're presenting as, as who you are, because that's the first experience someone has with you. Typically, I don't know the percentages, but I would have to guess that 90% of people at this point look at that employer on some social media outlet and Glassdoor, for example, at least on LinkedIn, to understand who's in the company and what the company's about. So that's step number one is really creating something that's true to the reality that they're going to see when they walk through the door. So for example, at Althera, we were really fast moving and we'd say it to people, but when we created our voice and our brand, we made it very obvious that we moved very quickly. And we did our interviews in a particular way so people would experience that in their journey of the interview process. We would almost overwhelm them intentionally because if if we didn't, people would come into the organization and three three days in, three days in, they'd be in the fetal position under their desk <laughs> because it would be it would they'd be like this moves really really fast, right? And so you have to say to people from the beginning, this is the experience that you're going to have here. So number one, you have to figure out what that is. And that's really talking to people and what's been your experience here. What does that feel like? What does it feel like when you walk through the door every day? What's the best thing about being here? How would you describe it? How do you describe it to your family around Thanksgiving dinner? How do you describe what you do and who you work for? What are the words that you use? And then from there, you know, and create a journey that reflects that in the interview process because to me, there's nothing worse. And we've all had this experience where you walk through the doors, like the twilight zone um, sort of feeling where the place that you interviewed is not the same place that you just walk through the door and you figure that out maybe a week or two in, right? There's actually the oldest recruiting joke in the book is about, you know, heaven and hell and, um, (laughs) you know, you during, you know, during recruiting, it looks a certain way and then you walk through the door and it's completely different. Um, that really happens. So I think if you want to um, really attract people that are culturally aligned, you have to be 
very overt and um, very transparent about your culture from the very beginning. Good, bad, and indifferent. I think you have to tell people like the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, I'm not saying don't sell yourself, but I think if there's something about your culture that's unique, that creates challenges for people, I think you have to tell people um, right out of the gate, whether it's a complex organizational structure or the pace that you move at, or maybe how slow things are because it's a huge company and there's a lot of red tape. I think you have to be really honest with people. Um, people can handle almost anything, but they have to know what they're getting themselves into. Yeah, they're going to figure it out. So probably better to do that on the front end. <laughs> yeah. Well, Stacy, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? So I think the one thing that I've mentioned throughout my whole entire conversation um, is this this theory around um, being authentic. Um One thing that I've been coaching people a lot on lately, so maybe it's because it's top of mind, is, I don't, George, I think you and I are about the same age. Um, (laughs) That is that we were told for a long time that you're something at work and you're something, you know, you you maybe have to change who you are in your personal life versus who you are in your work world. And I think that time has come to an end and, and that the true meaning of being authentic is being real and vulnerable as a leader, as an employee, whether you're a CEO or you're on the front lines um, with customers because customers want to talk to real people too. So I think the the tip I have for people is if, if you open yourself up to be an authentic, vulnerable person at work, at home, and in life, I found that that's where people find their greatest success. You will gravitate towards things that um, that are right for you. The right things will move in in your direction as far as gravitate towards you as well. Um, you will find your tribe of people that believe in the same thing you do. Um, if you walk into an interview and you are who you are, you're not going to be disconnected either once you come on board and people go, that's not who we interviewed, right? So my biggest tip is for people to just challenge people to be um, themselves and be authentic and raw and real in every aspect of their life. And I think ultimately that's how you find your greatest success. Well, that is great stuff that definitely gets it. Come on. Come on. Stacy. thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Um, I am, I can be found at, uh, on my website, which is just the rebelcode.com. Um, that's where I post everything else. And then I'm at, at the rebel code on Instagram. You can find out where I am and what I'm doing, whether I'm teaching a fitness class or I'm up, uh, talking to leaders or coaching somebody one-on-one. Um, that's the best place uh, to find out what I'm doing. Excellent. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Stacy your appreciation and share today's show with someone who also appreciates good ideas, go to therebelcode.com, follow her on social media. I will list all those in the notes of the show. Thank you again, Stacy. Thank you. Have and, a great day. Yeah, and until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review. And definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on.